It's a weeknight, and we're at Jordan Matthews High School in Siler City, North Carolina. It's about an hour southwest of Chapel Hill. The Jets are taking on Carborough High School in soccer. Eleven Jets players wearing blue and yellow are chasing all over the field, looking for another goal. It's become a part of the fall routine in this small North Carolina town. The man on the sidelines is a regular, too. Paul Quadros is the head coach of the team and an associate professor at the Hussman School of Journalism and Media at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. The Jets soccer team might be a familiar sight now, but that wasn't the case a couple decades ago. At the time, the Latina students at Jordan Matthews were invisible and not participating in clubs and activities and sports and in the, in the life of the school. They were different. They were struggling. They were dealing with all kinds of issues with the faculty and all kinds of things in the community. And so, you know, they withdrew and they, they weren't participating in anything. Welcome to Well Said, Carolina's official storytelling podcast. On today's episode, Paul will explain how reporting on immigration brought him to North Carolina and how getting involved in the community has encouraged him to stay. He'll tell us about the journey he's been on with the Jets and how the Jets have played a role in the development of Siler City. Paul first came to the state in 1999 as a journalist. He had received a reporting fellowship from the Alicia Patterson Foundation. He'd been reporting on immigration for years by then. In North Carolina, he researched and reported on how poultry processing plants lured Latinx immigrants to the southeastern United States and about how that recruitment of Mexican labor would change these communities. My intention was to do my fellowship from Washington, D.C., and to sort of drive back and forth and then return to my career as a journalist in Washington and proceed ahead. That didn't happen. That didn't happen because Paul did what he says journalists are not supposed to do. He got involved. Soon after coming to Siler City, Paul started coaching in the local soccer league. I thought it would be kind of a simple and easy thing to do, a hobby as I researched around the state about what I was reporting on. Instead, it became something else, became this whole thing. Paul led the creation of the varsity soccer program at Jordan Matthews in 2002. He felt this team would help the growing Latinx student population to become more involved in the school. The soccer team really helps them be empowered to participate and, and to show that they could be winners and be successful and be integrated into the life of the school and the community and to represent the community. There's an understanding that small rural high schools end up being sort of the heart of the community. And that's certainly true in Siler City and, and in other you know, communities. So having such a visible presence you know, as a team and being successful you know, really begins to sort of transform attitudes in Siler City. You, you can't see those kids anymore as being invisible or as being troublemakers or, or whatever. Instead, you can see them as champions. The Jets won a state championship in 2004, and Paul wrote a book about his experiences in Siler City, creating a soccer program and winning a championship in just a few years. It's called A Home on the Field, and it was the summer reading book for New Tar Heels in 2009. 
The book even led to a documentary series produced by Jennifer Lopez. Throughout his 20 years of involvement in Sylar City as a coach and community leader, he's seen a lot of changes. Sylar City really is a microcosm of what's happening today in terms of this whole entire issue of immigration or migration because it's really at the forefront and on the front lines of what happens to a community when immigration sort of happens to it that hasn't happened previously. And so it's gone through all the things that the country is going through in terms of dealing with and coping with changing demographics and a changing country. Sour City, when I first got there in 1999, was maybe 30% Latino, Hispanic. Today it's more than 50%. It's a majority Latino community. And that transformation over these decades is not only fascinating, but also provides maybe, you know, some forecasting for the rest of the country as the country moves from a place where white people have been in the majority to a place where they will no longer be in the majority and how the country sort of navigates that. When I got to Sider City in 1999, that community was really angry about the changes that were happening. Today, that's not necessarily true. Generally, that community has been transformed. So I can sort of see things like our country right now with regard to immigration going through the same sort of steps that Siler City went through in 1999. We're kind of in that spot right now as, as a nation. Paul says Siler City can serve as an example of how a community is transformed demographically over a relatively short period of time. The town is now majority Latinx, but that's not reflected in its leadership. None of the leadership roles have Latinos as members. So nobody on the city council, very few working in city hall, few on the police force or other institutions in town. And that's a phenomenon that's happening today, not just in Siler City, but in other communities as well, where you have a large population of Latinx people, but who are not engaged in civic life or leadership and providing representation. My reporting focuses more on that than on the previous stuff. Um, because the migration has happened. That has happened. And we are no longer in that period. Instead, we are in a, a settler's period. And so these are not immigrants. These are settlers that, that uh, live in, in Siler City. And I don't look at them as immigrants. And that's important to, um, to have that perspective. Now, here's a great example of that. So I coached kids in 2002 at Jordan Matthews High School. So some of those kids have since graduated from high school, gone on to do things with their lives, gotten married, and had children of their own, and their children I am currently coaching this year. So it feels kind of weird because I feel like I'm sort of like their grandfather coach. But that's the second generation, and so that's what I mean by that. You know, this is not an immigrant community. This is a settler community. How does this community of settlers incorporate itself within the greater community? That's the next question that Paul asked and that Siler City can begin to answer. And one of the things that we're not seeing is that leadership role, engagement role with the municipality and with the institutions. People ask me, you know, why is that? And people in Siler City and leaders in Siler City ask me why is that? Because they want it. The community leaders in Siler City want that Latino participation. What I tell them is that this is a generational thing that will have to play out over time. Because the population is extremely young. 
In a community like Siler City, the median age for the white population is like 56 years old. And for the black population, it's 46. But for the Latino population, it's about 26. So it's a very young population. That's true generally across the United States when you look at Latinos in the United States. They're, they're a young population in their 20s. But you look at that in other racial groups or ethnic groups, and they're much older. So you see this sort of clash between generations and between ethnicities and races that are all mixed up in this issue of immigration or migration that are being played out now. now you can't go to Siler City on a weekend without going to a christening, a baby shower, a wedding, all the things that young people do, all the, the economy that happens because young people are spending money on their families and developing their families. Older people spend money on health care. There's going to be a change in, in our society because of that. For me, it's interesting to, to examine that and to see how the Latino community is going to grow, much like other previous immigrant communities have done, the Irish, the Italian, and how they're going to permeate all different facets of American life in the future. For a community like Siler City, the future of that town is in its Latinx population. But it's going to take time before that generation grows up and finds the time to then begin to engage in civic life. Because right now, a lot of the people that I know are just, you know, they're dealing with their young families. And there's no time to have two or three kids and raise them and then also run for office. Whether it's reporting on immigration, creating a varsity soccer program, coaching that team, or something totally different, everything Paul does is to help develop the Latinx community. And with that, help develop the community around it as well. That's the major thread of uh, the body of my work. Whether it's focusing on migration or demographic change or Latino identity or creating institutions, all that is a part of dealing with this particular community and its integration in our society. So here on campus, for instance, when I first got to Carolina, there were no institutions aimed at Latinx students, faculty, staff. So those things had to be sort of built. After you know, building the soccer team and doing other things in Siler City, I found that it was actually kind of fun doing that. So I and other people began to build these institutions. So we built like the Latino Caucus, which represents faculty and staff on campus. Paul joined the university in 2007. Shortly after that in 2010, he also helped create the Latinx Collaborative. This year, that collaborative became a center. The Carolina Latinx Center will hold its official ribbon cutting on October 4th. I think I'm going to feel elated. All of us who have worked so hard on the collaborative, Jasmel Perez, our executive director, other people that have since graduated over time. For me, the center is even more important in in the sense that our students and faculty have a place that is going to be a space for them to congregate and to talk about these sort of issues. And certainly visibility brings other things as well. But I think, uh, you know, we're sort of looking to um, answer those challenges going forward with the center and its creation. I think that, you know, we need to have these sort of institutions to establish ourselves and to have a presence and to have leadership and to develop leadership and to also serve as a bridge to other communities. From his experiences with the Jets, creating a varsity program and leading it to a state championship, 
Paul knows the impact visibility, leadership, and development can have on a community. Today, you know, we still strive for excellence, and, you know, it's a standard that we set every season and that I demand of them. And those expectations are always high for a reason, and I have those same expectations on myself every day. My experience as as an immigrant, as a son of an immigrant, you know, that's kind of what we go through is that your family does all this sacrifice to get you here, and then you take advantage of those opportunities. You get those standards and you establish them for the rest of your life. And today, the team still seeks that. I mean, the kids all still want to be champs. Want to learn more about the Carolina Latinx Center? Visit their website, clc.unc.edu. Do you have an idea for an upcoming episode of Well Said? Please tell us. Tweet us at UNC or email us at wellsaid at unc.edu. You can find Well Said wherever you get podcasts. So we hope you'll subscribe and leave us a review. Thank you for listening to this episode of Well Said. See you next week.